Good evening. I'd like to welcome everyone this evening. First song will be We Shall Assemble. We shall assemble on the mountain. We shall assemble at the throne. With humble hearts into his presence. We bring an offering of song, glory and honor and dominion unto the Lamb, unto the King. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. We sing the song of the at the end of our journey, we shall bow down on bended knee, and with the angels up in heaven, we'll sing the song of victory, glory and honor and dominion unto the to the King. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. We sing the song of the I will be reading from Romans chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith in this, into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that our suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Psalm 4, opening prayer be number 193. 
I would be. Let's pray together. God, our Lord, our Creator, we are so humbled, Father, to be able to come before you this evening. Uh, That, Father, we can uh, communicate with you, that we can tell you, Father, what's on our hearts and what's on our minds. Uh, Father, we are so grateful for uh, so many things that you blessed us with, Father. Uh, We're thankful for this country, Father. We're thankful for the homes that we have, the vehicles we have to drive, uh, the jobs that we have. And uh, we just pray, Father, you help us to uh, to realize that they all come from you, uh, that you, Father, uh, bless us so richly every day. Father, we're so thankful um, for a time when we can worship you with our brothers and sisters. We pray, Lord, that you'll help us this evening uh, to to focus on you, Father, uh, to focus on your word, uh, to focus on ways, Father, that we can uh, be strengthened, Father, that we can strengthen one another. Uh, We're thankful, Father, for uh, Mr. John, Father, and the ability that you have blessed him with, Father, to, uh, to proclaim your word, Father, we pray, Lord, that you'll be with him this evening, that you'll help him, Father, to uh, remember those things that he's prepared, uh, that he will, Father, be able to present them in a way that uh, he has planned, and, Father, in a way that uh, will uh, allow us to uh, grow closer to you, allow us, Father, to uh, learn more about you, Father, and more about uh, your plan for us. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you'll help us every day to uh, look to your word, that we, Father, will um, dig into it, Father, that you will help us as we study to uh, grow in our knowledge, Father. Uh, through that, Father, we can grow in our faith. Uh, we pray, Lord, as we um, face those temptations, Father, that you'll help us to uh, overcome, Father, that you'll give us the courage, Father, to uh, take those things that we study that we'll be able to share it with others, Father. And we pray uh, as we go out into this world, Father, that uh, you'll help us to be uh, your light, uh, that you will help us to uh, reflect your word, Father, uh, that we, Father, will not uh, pray that, that our will be done, Father, but that yours will be done. And we pray, Lord, that you'll help us uh, to... To be the people, Father, that we need to be, uh, to be those good examples. And we pray, Lord, that you help us to to look to the future, Father, to not uh, think of those things from the past, uh, those things that uh, that separated us from you. Uh, That you help us uh, to always be focused on that ultimate goal, Father, of spending all eternity with you. Uh, We're so thankful for your plan, Father. We're so thankful for your word. Uh, We're so thankful that that Christ, Father, was uh, willing to come to this earth and to hang on that cross, Father, because of the love uh, that he has for us. We're so thankful that you blessed us with your spirit, Father, uh, that can help us uh, each day uh, to make those right decisions. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. I'd like to mark your songbooks or song of invitation after lesson be number 572. 572. Before the lesson, let's stand and sing number one. <clears throat> number one. There is beyond the azure blue a God concealed from human sight. He tended skies with heavenly hue and framed the worlds with his great might. There is a God, he is alive, in him we live and we survive. From dust our God, created man, he our God, the great I am. There was a long, long time ago a God whose voice the prophets heard. He is the God that we should know, who 
speaks from his inspired word. There is a God, he is alive, in him we live and we survive. From dust our God, created man, he is our God, the great I am, our God who sat upon a tree of life was willing there to give, that he from sin might set man free, and evermore with him could live. A God, He is alive. In Him we live and we survive. From dust, our God, created man. He is our God, the great I am. Be seated, please. Thank you for being back here tonight. We appreciate your presence. Wanted to just introduce very quickly John Cantrell. John spoke to us this morning in, in Bible class. He spoke to us about Jesus and Nicodemus, that meeting, and then uh, for, for his lesson, uh, lesson on what is discipleship. Excited to uh, hear another lesson tonight, and I wanted to also uh, welcome Jennifer and um, Ella. Ella's here with us tonight. And then uh, John and Jennifer have Levi, who's 22, Hannah, who's 20, and uh, they're not with us at this time. John is a bivocational preacher at South Harpeth. He's been there 15 years, and so he also works in Davidson County in the property assessment office. He, his dad's a retired uh, Army colonel. He said he was two when they moved to Madison, but his mom did a lot of shopping at the commissary, and so he's familiar with Fort Campbell in this area well. We appreciate John being here and opening up the Bible and studying another uh, lesson from God's Word. So I'm going to turn it over to John and, and uh, invite you to pay attention. Thank you. Yes, sir. We want to thank the Paynes for their hospitality this afternoon. They were so kind to open up the home, their home, and, and not only just open it up, but uh, entertain and educate and encourage and what a blessing that they are to, to have been to us today, and I know a blessing that they are to you all. So thank you publicly to them. I also want to just tell you from an outside, outsider's perspective what a joy it is to be here. This has been a great day. Thank you for including us. This congregation, this assembly is very special, and that's very evident you know, uh, we are told in Paul speaks uh, to the Corinthians about when people walk in, they should understand what they hear and they should be convicted. And there is a conviction here when one walks in just in the humility that is here and the, and the fellowship that is here and the fact that it's just humble people serving the Lord. And I just want to thank you for that. I don't know how I uh, fell into this other than by the mercy and grace of God. And so thank you. I'm striving to be that way. And I hope that uh, I can continue to learn that through you all this week. So thank you so much for this opportunity. We'll go back to John 3 tonight. In verse 19, we have a, 19 through 21, we have a great description of the state of the world tonight. John 3 and verse 19, this is the judgment that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light, for their works were wicked or evil. 
Everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be condemned or would be condemned. And everyone whose works are true comes to the light so that his works may be revealed, that they have been done in God. Light and darkness is certainly a theme throughout the Gospel of John and the Epistle of John. And here we have this commentary of John as he relates to us teaching of Jesus and this great spiritual truth that we all are very familiar with, and that is the natural man in his naturalness hates the light and loves the darkness. And that's because he loves the sin that he is committing. There are those in the religious world that say, well, we, we are born guilty of Adam's sin, and we reject that. But we also understand that we are, while we are born innocent, we are born into a world filled with sin. How could it not rub off on us? How could it not entangle us? And all of us have fallen short of God's glory. All of us have sinned. And we are guilty of our own sin. And before we come to the light, before we are regenerated, before we are reborn, before we are born from above, we hate the light. We want to talk about anything but the light. Now as I go out and and evangelize and try to talk to other people about Jesus, and I'm sure you have this same experience, There is a great connection in the natural. We're fine talking about football season coming up. We're fine talking about our busy schedules as school ramps up, what our children are participating in, uh, where, where our children are off to if they're off to school, or maybe they're starting a job. We're very comfortable talking about our work and what we do. And yet, when the conversation turns to spiritual, uh, many times that conversation ends very quickly, or that conversation is one-sided. And so, we understand this idea of light and darkness, of not wanting to come to the light. How do we break through that barrier? How do we break through that? Well, There is one way that God has told us to do that, and ultimately, there are several things that can lead to this moment. God's providence is always at work, and hopefully, you have eyes to see, and we pray that we all have eyes to see those people in our lives that God has placed in our lives so that we can evangelize them so that we can speak to them, so that we can share the gospel with them, the good news of Jesus. And we'll be talking more about that as we go through this week. So, yes, we are given the opportunity to do good works. We're given the opportunity to do good works for each other, being that light on a hill, being the salt of the earth as we go out and as we Uh, Do good things for each other and do good things for other people that they may see those good works, not glorify us, but glorify God. But when it comes down to it, we ultimately, bottom line, we have to get to the point where we speak the gospel. We cannot get around that. We cannot get around from teaching the gospel of Jesus. Uh, It comes by revelation. I can look out upon nature and see a lot of attributes of God and understand a lot of things about God, but one thing I cannot understand by nature comes to me by revelation. It comes to be by, by, by Holy Spirit-inspired witness, and that is the gospel of Jesus that we have just sung, that he, that he gave his life for us, that he uh, ultimately took our place. Paul writes to Timothy, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, 
Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. With complete patience and teaching, I am to preach the word. What's plan B, Paul? I, I, you know, these people, they, they don't want to go to the light. They don't want their deeds exposed. They resist this message. What is plan B? There is no plan B. Preach the word. That is plan B, C, D, and Z. Preach the word. Whether they want to hear it or not. And he goes on to say there will, be, there will come a time when people will... Bring in teachers that teach what they want to hear. And it's so humbling to think about the fact that Paul is not talking about the world. We could talk about the world all day long and those people out there and those sins that they are committing, those big sins. Yes, that's a part of it, but what should grab us all from this text in Second Corinthians or Second Timothy is that he says there will come a time Christians. Christians, when you will no longer endure sound teaching, when you will heap upon yourselves teachers that tickle your ears, but don't convict. Paul wrote to Romans and he said, you'll have a form of godliness, but you'll deny its power. You'll you'll have that form, you'll go through those motions, but... You won't have the power because it will not be saving faith. It will not be obedient faith. Here Jesus is teaching in John chapter 3. He's teaching Nicodemus. And just let me put an exclamation mark on this very quickly. When we talk about Jesus teaching Nicodemus, think about how important it is to be taught. Jesus was, uh, came teaching and preaching We are to go out and, as we talked about this morning, teach and preach and make disciples by our teaching and our preaching. Yes, our service is included, but ultimately it must include teaching. Think about the rich man and Lazarus, that story that Jesus tells. uh, Both go to the Hadean realm and the rich man is in torment And he calls out to Father Abraham, and he wants some relief, and he's told that won't happen. And he says, much like a a, sort of a, a Christmas carol moment, he says, would you have Lazarus, almost like he does, still doesn't realize he's not the master, would you have Lazarus go back and tell my family? And, of course, Abraham says, that's not possible. And he says, oh, no, 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 you don't understand Abraham. (laughs) If, dead, if a person from the dead came back, they would believe. And Abraham says, truly, that's not the case. Even if someone came back from the dead, he wouldn't believe. What, is, what does he, Abraham say? He says, he, 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 they have what? They have Moses and the prophets, right? They have the Bible. They have the teaching. It's interesting to me that if you fast forward, one of the resurrection appearances that Jesus makes is with a couple of guys on the road to Emmaus. And you remember as he walks with them, uh, he doesn't pop out and say, ta-da, it's me, it's Jesus. What does he say? He doesn't say anything. He says, well, tell me about that. Are you the only one that doesn't know? And Jesus begins to do what with them? He doesn't say, ta-da, it's me. You don't have to be afraid. You don't have to wonder. He starts what? Teaching them. They get to the house. They compel Jesus to come in. And all of a sudden, the next scene is that the guest has become the host. And it's in the breaking of the bread that he is revealed. What a great communion text that really is never used as a communion text, but that would certainly make a good one. But the point is that Jesus teaches, and Jesus is teaching Nicodemus, a teacher of the law, and yet Jesus here is teaching. Are, 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 you, are you a teacher of the law, he says, and you don't know these things? 
So in, cha- in John chapter 3, let's start again in verse 1. There was a, a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher. We, we can at least discern that. Come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So there's teaching connected with the signs as we will talk about in a minute, that was certainly the case in the uh, events that we read in Acts. Jesus cuts through all of that. Jesus is not interested in the niceties. Jesus is not interested in, uh, in the fluidity of his compliments. Jesus cuts through all of this and goes straight for the heart of the matter unless... One is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of of God. Now here's a teacher of the law, one who you would imagine keeps the law perfectly or he would not be where he is. He knows the law, he interprets the law, he has the credibility of one that keeps the law perfectly. Uh, When there needs to be an issue adjudicated, they go to him. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And Jesus again cuts through this and answers, truly, truly, I say unto you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. I want us to really hone in on the word unless or except. I'm not sure what other translations would have. that Those two cover most of them. Except on the condition that. Except under the circumstances that. It is a conditional statement. It means that it's some are in and some are out. You either are or you are not. Again, with no middle ground. Uh, there is no in-between. So, First of all, we've got to address our own selves, and then we've got to address those that we want to leave here and go out and address. At South Harpeth, I saw this idea, and I had one of our members who's really good with woodwork make this for us, and he did such a beautiful job. We have what you all have, which is a wooden door leading out of our auditorium, and I saw this, it was, it was over that door as you left, it says, now entering the mission field. Now entering the mission field. And so we have that now. So every time we leave the church house, we are reminded that that's where we're headed. We are now going into our mission field. We have friends and family, we have co-workers, we have schoolmates, all of us have someone in our life that is outside of Christ, that unless, except they are born again of water and spirit, they will not enter the kingdom of heaven. And one of the things that I stand up here and remind myself, and you all can listen in, is the simple fact that, do I care enough? Does that bother me enough? Am I convicted enough? to to do whatever it takes, whether they want to hear or not, whether they are ready to hear it or not, whatever my fear is, whatever comes up in me that says, don't do it. What we've got to be reminded of tonight is that the fear of God puts to death every other fear. Knowing that I will go before God one day, We think about the parable of the talents. And talents, of course, represent opportunity in that that parable. Not everybody had the same opportunity, but everyone was expected to take their opportunity and put it to use so that the opportunities could increase, so that a harvest could take place eventually that was greater than what began. And he says at the end, he says, You know, you could have at least taken your opportunity and given it to someone else. Many of us will go before the Lord one day and say, God, I know you put me at that work. I know you put me by that person. And I knew that person was outside of Christ because every Monday we got back together 
and I heard all the stuff that that person was doing. I knew that every Friday what that person was looking forward to. That person lived uh, for, thank God it's Friday, and uh, just lamented at, oh God, it's Monday. How many people in your life does that describe? What will we tell God was more important than that? Was more important than bringing the gospel to that person? How will we look at that person at the judgment one day? That old song, you never mentioned him to me. How, how could we go into eternity knowing that we could have brought others with us but didn't? That unless is something we've got to understand, we've got to reclaim, unless you are born again. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12 describes one outside of Christ. Listen, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise, without God in the world. That describes someone outside of Christ, outside of any promise, outside of God. My dear friend, if you are outside of Christ tonight, I have no comfort for you. I have no comfort to offer you except that to repent and to come and believe on the name of the Lord Jesus. Let him take away your sins. Let, him, let us wash away your sins in the watery grave of baptism. That's the only comfort I have tonight that you have been given this opportunity to come and make yourself right with the Lord through Christ. This from above birth is nothing short of regeneration. What gives me the possibility of regeneration? Well, it's the sacrifice of Jesus, of course. What is needed for me to be regenerated? Well, saving faith, and that is not just an intellectual assent, but we know from Scripture it involves more Ephesians chapter 2 again, for by grace, there's God's part, you have been saved through faith. That's where my heart connects with the heart of, of God. That not of your own doing is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. In the cross, in the mind of God, my sins are imputed to Jesus, and his righteousness is. Uh, when I am baptized, when I am immersed, his righteousness then is imputed to me in the mind of God. Uh, and I rise to walk a new person. God sent Jesus to be my substitute. A man born under, born, born of a woman, born under the law, committed no sin. He kept the law perfectly. This made him the only one qualified to take the punishment of sin for everyone. Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. What is the wage of sin? The wage of sin is death. We needed a perfect lamb, a perfect sacrifice. So through Jesus we have one that perfectly satisfied the law and that he never committed a sin and perfectly satisfied the punishment that the law demands, death. So that the law at the end of of, of the time that Jesus is on earth is perfectly satisfied. The law makes no more demands than what Jesus was able to accomplish. The demand of perfect obedience and the demand of death as punishment were met in Christ. The demands of law are completely addressed. We preach Christ and him crucified. I need salvation. And that salvation is conditioned upon my response to him in faith, which includes belief, which includes confession, which includes repentance, which includes immersion. Let's go back to John 3 then, and let's see these elements tonight uh, in, in a few of these verses. In John chapter 3 and verse 14 as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, 
This goes back to Numbers chapter 21. In Numbers 21 and verse 4, we have just a few verses here about an event that happened as the children of Israel were in the wilderness. They journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom, and the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in this wilderness? For there is no food, no water, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. We won't take the time tonight to go into this, but what a great uh, section there is in Deuteronomy about God blessing them with bread that their, no one in their uh, forefathers had eaten, that their clothes didn't wear out, that, that they were needing meat, and God even sent them meat as well as manna. But they were ungrateful for those things. They wanted to go back in, to Egypt and be slaves. So the Lord, in response to this, sends fiery serpents among the people, And they bit the people, many of the people, and Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. Now it's interesting, just like the people of Israel, they have no other option than to come back to the ones that they have offended. There is... A piece of that that we take in our own lives as we think through the gospel. We have no other choice than to go back to the God that we have offended. To appeal to the Savior that came and gave his life for us. That he being our high priest. That he being our mediator. That he being our advocate would take our place and give us his righteousness. Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a pole, and it shall be everyone who is bitten. When he looks at it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, and so so it was if a serpent had bitten anyone that he looked at the bronze serpent and he lived. It was a conditional statement. If you're bitten and you look, you may live. If you are bitten and you don't look, you may not live. There is such a grace in that. These people rebelled. God is sending a punishment upon that. And yet, even in the midst of that, he sends salvation to them. He gives a prescribed way that they may deal with this. It's interesting, later on in the history of Israel, in 2 Kings chapter 18, Hezekiah removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. He broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made, for until those days the people of Israel had made offerings to it. They had made an idol of that bronze serpent long after its time period uh, of saving had passed, long after its purpose had passed. It was called Nehushtan, Nehushtan. Is that close enough, brother? Okay, good. They saw the symbol, but they didn't see beyond the symbol to what it pointed to, the graciousness of God. How the world has made an idol out of the cross. Missing the Christ and the salvation he and it brings to us. Verse 15, that whoever believes in him may have everlasting life. Whoever. It's not just for one particular group anymore. And yet, it divides. Up until Abraham God dealt with humanity all the same, but God comes to Abraham. You remember the story, the people want to make a name for themselves, and they start to build the Tower of Babel, we call it. And it's so tiny, God has to come down. It's so minuscule and so small. 
But then God comes to one man and says, I will make your name great. I will do it. And after that point, it was Abraham and his descendants and everyone else. We're going to read a text that points to the fact that whosoever and that God loved the whole world, which would have been so radical for someone like Nicodemus to hear, one that understands God's favor to be on one group of people and one group of people alone, that whosoever would come will have everlasting life as long as they believe. In John 8, in verse 24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And again, from John chapter 3, and verse 36, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey, do you see that contrast? And I will continue to come back to that ad nauseum. You all uh, may be tired of this verse at the end when I leave and never let Tom use it again. But what, what, it doesn't get any clearer than that. Is it faith only? No. Understood correctly, yes. But it is a conditional faith. We read, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That tells me something very important that I want to make clear because I ha- it hasn't always been clear to me. I'm a little bit slow at times, but it's this, that in sin, in the darkness, the wrath of God remains on me. It's not that one day at the judgment God said, you did not believe in Jesus and I'm going to let you have it. It's that the perfect holiness and righteousness of God will not allow you to be in his presence. It is that you are to be holy as he is holy, and we are given that opportunity in Christ. Our sins are judged at the cross when we die to ourselves and rise that new man in Romans chapter 6 as we describe the process of immersion. Or we have them judged at the judgment when it's too late to do anything about it. But the fact is that if you're in in sin and outside of Christ, whether you were in Christ before and you have fallen away or whether you have never named the name of Jesus and put him on in obedient faith in baptism, either way, the wrath of God remains on you. You're in a burning building. And there is one way out, and that is Jesus. You either take that way out or you die. And, of course, as we will see, the antithesis of everlasting life is death. So we get to this most monumental verse that uh, I was, Tom had a great idea. I was telling him that I'm really struggling with John 3.16 because it's so monumental, because it's so great. And uh, he suggested at this time, and if I were smart, I would do this. Just sit down and let Tom come up and expound it on, for us. That's such a great idea. But I'll, I'll do it so that you, the next time he does it, y'all say, Tom, he did a much better job. My goodness. For God so loved the world, which would have been radical to any Jew that read that. God so loved the world. Don't miss that. That... We're all included in this, that he gave his unique son, McCord uh, renders it, only begotten, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Let's stipulate to the fact that we know through faith, that before the foundation of the world was spoken into existence, God understood that we would need salvation. Going all the way back to the beginning, going all the way back before the beginning, the counsel of God gets together and there is a plan of salvation. That as Jesus is addressing the first sin, he's already speaking a prophecy about the coming salvation. I want to talk about so for a minute. We hear so, and what do we think? We think so, right? Like we're giving somebody that we really love a hug. 
Like, uh, 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 that was a good one. Like the old Campbell Soup commercial. God so loved the world. A couple of translations, uh, New English translation is one. I don't necessarily throw that out to recommend it. But in this case, I want to read its rendering. It begins the verse, for in this way. And, and I really believe that's a, that gets me closer anyway. I'm no Greek scholar, but that gets me a lot closer to understanding what this is about. In this way, God loved us. He sent his most precious son. And as we'll talk about later on in the week, that was a costly gift. Even if humanity didn't exist, God's love would exist. God is love, 1 John 4 and verse 8. God is love. And so, to deal with our sin, to deal with the darkness, God sends us the best because he loves us. We're not talking about universal salvation. We're talking about the opportunity of, of salvation to whosoever would believe, to whosoever would exhibit saving faith. If I were to write you a check tonight for $1,000, I were to write Tom a check for $1,000. Now it would bounce. But if I were to write Tom a check for $1,000 and he took it because he's, he's not without intelligence and he sat down and he signed the back of that check he drove to the bank he went to see the teller he gave the check over and he said I just want you to know I have had to work so hard for this money does anybody think someone writing a check to them is hard work to go and deposit that money no, we, we don't uh, believe in a conditional salvation involving that type of work. It is a gift, but we must receive it in obedience in the conditions that the Bible makes clear. I want to conclude tonight, and uh, maybe I'll make up. I apologize. Somebody thank me for going over. That would never happen at South Harpeth. South Harpeth, if you're watching. Somebody thanked me this morning for going over. I didn't realize I had gone over. I apologize. Y'all were so uh, courteous and kind, and I thought as soon as they started getting restless, and I thought, well, they never got restless, so maybe I did it okay. turns out I didn't, so I apologize. So we'll try to make up for it a little bit tonight. But I want to contrast as we close tonight this idea of salvation by works and salvation by grace, this idea of coming to Jesus, this idea of our understanding of our need based on something outside of ourself, based on the work that has been done for us because we were helpless, we were sinners in need of a Savior, hell-bound, helpless and God sent his very best to give us this opportunity. In Luke chapter 18 and 19, we have such a great contrast tonight. And this occurred to me this afternoon as, as I thought about this. We typically read this text in other contexts at other times. I suppose this would make its own sermon. But as we close, I want to use it as an illustration. In Luke chapter 18, starting with verse 18... A ruler asked him, and remember, Nicodemus is known as a ruler. A ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, we know from John 3 that the answer is belief. Saving faith. Conditional faith. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. He makes a claim to his divinity. But then he opens up this man's heart, or at least he should have. He would mind, I hope, if I had been there. 
I'd like to think he would have. Notice what Jesus immediately takes him to. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. He said, all of these I have kept from my youth. Now, I think Nicodemus would have said the same thing. But I don't think anybody could have done that. What an arrogant statement that is. What an absolutely arrogant statement that was for this man to say, I've kept all of these commandments. Let me ask you, if you had been in his shoes, how many lies have you told? How many times have you lusted in your heart? How many, how many times have you taken the Lord's name in vain? We don't go very far in the Ten Commandments before we are condemned. This man is so arrogant. When, he heard, when Jesus heard this, he said to him, and Mark tells us, adds, he loved him. One thing you still lack, sell all that you have, distribute it to the poor. You will have treasure in heaven. Come and follow me. When he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. See, God knew his heart, uh, Jesus knew his heart, and he had something that kept him from his obedience of Jesus. He had an idol in his life. He had an obstacle that had entangled him. And of course, in, 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 a, in a culture that says, the wealthier you are, the more blessed you are by God, his disciples are around him, seeing that he had become sad, said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person in the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus said. And then his disciples, those who heard it, said, Then who can be saved? Who, if this man who has kept the law from an outward appearance? Now, we'll get into this later. Not from a heart, but from an outward appearance. This man has kept the law. If he can't, if this rich man can't, who has the opportunity? Who can? And what does Jesus answer? What is impossible with man is possible with God. Now go to chapter 19. It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom. But what is impossible with man is possible with God. It's hard, but it's not impossible. Notice that we don't even know the name of the rich man. Luke, the historian, we don't even know his name. What a great contrast then when we get to chapter 19. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, For he was about to pass that way, and when Jesus came to the place, he too could see his heart. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay in your house today. I must stay there. I must go there. Why, Jesus? So he hurried and came down, received him joyfully. He didn't go away sad. He didn't go away sorrowful. He looked at what was before him and who was before him, and he said, what is any of this compared to that? He received him joyfully, and when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, The half of all my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Today, salvation has come even to a rich man who gladly receives the word of the Lord. Is that you tonight? Will you gladly receive the offer that Jesus is making of eternal salvation? Will you receive him gladly? Will you obey him? Will you humbly come before him 
bowing your life to Him, repenting of your sins, and having your sins washed away, would you do that tonight while we stand and while we stand? who's not had an opportunity to take a Lord's Supper today, if you go to room one in the back, there'll be someone there to assist you. Okay. Again, we'd like to invite each of you to be back tomorrow night through Wednesday night at 6 o'clock for our meal, followed by our worship service at 7. Any other final announcements? Not our closing song will be number... 512. Sing the first and last verses. 512. Some glad morning when this life is old, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore.
Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this day, thankful for your many blessings. Lord, thankful we can come together as a body of your people, Lord, and, and worship you. Lord, we're so thankful for uh, your blessings on our Friends and Family Day. Lord, you just bless Stroudsville so much, and we're so, so thankful. We ask for your continued blessings on our ongoing gospel meeting uh, this week. Thank you for bringing Brother John our way. Thank you for uh, the lessons that he's sharing. Lord, we ask you please be with our sick, those who aren't able to be with us uh, today, those who are carrying heavy burdens, those who have lost loved ones. Lord, please just comfort them in a way that only you can. Lord, as we uh, leave here tonight, uh, as we were reminded tonight, we're leaving going to the mission field. Lord, we pray that uh, our, our lights shine and that we get comfortable with talking spiritually uh, with those of our who we come in contact with who do not know you, who do not know the story of salvation. Lord, help us to uh, preach uh, your, your gospel, Lord, and share the story of Jesus and the hope of being in heaven with you someday. It's through Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thank you.